Welcome to episode 21 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm Derek Dye. And I'm Jeff Brownson. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Today's episode is a little bit different because it's not only the second half of our interview with Fabio Garcia from Dynasty Brewing, but it's also the second time we're recording it. I messed up editing and the original interview and somehow managed to delete the entire second half. Luckily, Fabio was kind enough to sit down with us again, share another beer, and record the same interview again. Before we get to that second interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now, after a quick word from our sponsor, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy the conclusion of our chat with Fabio Garcia. This episode is brought to you by Visit Loudon, the tourism office for the Loco Ale Trail. With 35 breweries and counting, Loudon County is one of the most vibrant craft beer destinations in the U.S. Visit Loudon invites you to hit the Loco Ale Trail, which connects the urban breweries of Sterling and Ashburn in the east, to everything from bespoke taprooms and historic towns to farm breweries with stunning Blue Ridge Mountain views out west. Grab your Ale Trail passport to collect stamps, win prizes, and say cheers in Loudon beer country. For more, check out visitloudon.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second attempt at our second half of an interview with Fabio Garcia. It was a it was a rough editing week for me, but we are hoping to make it work here. I've got Derek with me as always. Derek, say hello to the people. How is everyone today? Lovely day in Maryland. It's a lovely day in uh, Northern Virginia, too. And, of course, the super friendly and super nice to record the second half of the show over again with us. Hey, guys. Fabio Garcia. How are you doing today, Fabio? Doing very well. Good to join you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to record again. We're going to get right to it, but of course, as always, we start with what we're drinking. And since we are not at Dynasty Brewing anymore, but we are at home recording remotely, luckily I took some beers home when I was there. So I am still drinking a Dynasty beer. And it is your uh, Distorted Vision, which is a hazy double India Pale Ale, 8.1% alcohol. So that's good for a, for an afternoon beer for me. We'll see how my evening goes, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Derek, what have you got going today? Like you, Jeff, I was fortunate enough to leave Dynasty Brewing with some of their delicious brews. So this afternoon, I'm drinking the Night Vision. That's a black IPA. I think an underrated beer type. You get all the hops, a little less body to the beer, uh, but it still checks in at 8%. ABV. So really enjoying this one from Dynasty Brewing. Really good uh, black IPA with a lot of good hop flavor. Fabio, you, you drinking anything today or are you still hard at work? I am at work. I am taking a break and having a cup of tea. Some Earl Grey. Hot. It's good. 
So that that's what happens when you record in the afternoon is people have uh, things to do still. So, you know, what do we do? I am having this uh, distorted vision, which may be a description of what my night vision is like. Yeah. If I keep drinking from here on, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how the how the episode goes and what we end up like. So you can see we have a theme here, a dynasty, the vision series. I don't know if we talked about this last week or not, but we make making these uh, hazy double IPAs. Um, we started with mosaic vision. And we have quite a few other ones, electro vision. On tap, we have distorted vision. And then we made a, a black IPA version of it, night vision. Yeah, and I think I had the cosmic vision. I think we both had the cosmic vision when we were there. So I, as we were leaving and you said, hey, grab a couple of beers, I made sure to snag this one that I hadn't tried. And I'm yeah. pretty happy that I grabbed this one because it's delicious. Agreed. I, I guess I've now had three of the Vision series, the yeah. Cosmic, the uh, Black, uh, the Night Vision, and the one Jeff is drinking today, Distorted Vision. All three are incredible beers. They're incredible representations of, of their beer type. And uh, I would... Based on those three, would highly recommend anyone at Dynasty Brewing try one of the whatever Vision series is on tap at the time. Yep, we have uh, Electro Vision coming out this week, so that's what I was uh, doing right before we got on. I talked to you guys. Uh, I was just uh, transferred uh, the newest beer, the Electro Vision. We have two new beers this week, so Electro Vision and uh, uh, Triple IPA. So if eight percent wasn't uh, big enough for you, uh, we have a twelve percent beer coming out today or this week. Jeff, I'll be right back. I'm going to hang with uh, Fabio for the evening. So, And I yeah. just saw Derek's eyes get wide, and I could see him in his head calculating, like, can I get out to Loudoun County and get back in time to do my yeah. work well, tomorrow we'll, we'll, morning? We'll, <laughs> exactly. We'll package it uh, this week sometime. Uh, uh, so uh, it'll be ready by the end of the week. But uh, Perfect. Yeah. Looking forward to trying it. I'm thinking with all these vision beers, maybe we should do some sort of uh, – vision series kind of like you would do with a with an ale trail map only it's the vision series and if you get a certain number of them then maybe you get a little sample glass free or something or there's I, all, all sorts of ways we could do this but they all end with Derek and I drinking more hazy IPAs yeah we wanted to have a, a t-shirt like a vision t-shirt and have all the all the vision beer labels on the back of the shirt or something like that so, so that'd be, be really cool yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you could do some sort of like checkbox on it so that they could check it off with a fabric marker or something. Good idea. We did shirts like that for Disney, uh, Disney World, I think, when we went a couple of years ago. One of my wife's friends has the the cricket vinyl thing that she can make designs on anything, but she made us Disney shirts with all the major Disney parks and check marks for the ones we had been to. So that was kind of fun. That is fun. But doing that with beer would with beer would be even better. Yeah. So we talked in the last episode a whole lot about your history of, I guess, kind of growing up in the beer world through mm-hmm. your post-college days to now in the Northern Virginia area. But we want to talk more about where you are now and Dynasty Brewing and what you're doing there, which I guess we got off to a good start because we just went on a whole tangent about the, the Vision Series beers. But I want to get into kind of the decision-making process as the owner-brewer. And you talked a little bit or you hinted a little bit in the last episode about you're just kind of making guesses and going where you want to go and you get to do whatever you want. But there has to be some sort of method to that. So how is it that you decide what you're going to brew next? Um, Well, I have a couple partners. And uh, Travis and I 
discuss what beers to make. He's very much the one that got me into brewing hazy IPAs before the different breweries that I wasn't really focused. There was a new style as well, right? You know, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit that five years ago that pretty much very few breweries were doing it and it just exploded the last couple of years uh, for good reason. It's a very flavorful style that a lot of uh, non-IPA drinkers can jump on and enjoy. So it's uh, like that the 12% beer that we have coming out soon. It's pretty much tastes like mango juice. It's so sweet. So, I mean, that's kind you're, of a... You're definitely not convincing me not to drive out there this it's week. It's definitely uh, <laughs> something that I would never imagine myself brewing just a few years ago. It's just not something that I uh, thought about. You know, I guess maybe I had some bad examples of the style or, you know, did really exist, that kind of really sweet IPAs like that. Um, so that's part of it. It's kind of we're creating something that we're trying to... Well, it's, almost, it's an established style now that Hazy IPAs is trying to create our own little uh, take on it, you know, kind of doing some classic things, but using like the London 3 AOEs, that's like a classic, what is classic now for that style, but we're trying to figure out ways, ways to make it our own. So. so you can kind of become known for that style, but in a little bit different way than other breweries are known for it, make it your own. Yeah, we're trying, um, for sure. I mean, we always, always say we always have a hazy IPA on tap, but we have been known to run out. That's definitely the beers that sell most. That's why we keep making it, right? You know, that's, I do like brewing other styles, but that's the uh, the ones that sell quickly and uh, trying to make as much as possible, really. And you had told us before, I think it was when you were at Lost Rhino, that Travis used to come in. This was before you were business partners, and mm -hmm. he would travel and he would try a new type of beer, and then he would show up and he'd be like, hey, you got to make this, you got to do this, you got to do that. Yeah, Is that right. kind of still how it works? Does he still do that? He goes out and wanders and comes back and says, hey, how come we're not making this? Yeah, pretty much. New styles, different hop combinations. That's always the uh, the challenge with the, the hazy IPAs. You're trying to... Uh, so we use like the same malt bill for most of our uh, hazy IPAs. Uh, we use the Pilsner malt, some locally grown oats and wheat. Uh, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is use local ingredients. Not a whole lot of hops in Virginia, so we stay with uh, some locally grown wheat and oats. and uh, But pretty much a similar grain bill and then we uh, the flavors come from the uh the different flavors come the uh, from the different hop combinations it's always surprising sometimes when you pick two favorite hops and it's like oh this doesn't really work out as we planned and so um not that they don't turn out bad it just sometimes you have a certain idea what you're going for Sometimes I guess the flavors don't blend together as well as you would think they might if you like both of the hops individually that's correct yeah uh, and then sometimes you throw a new hop in, and it's a, quite a surprise. And then, you know, we try to. But that's been part of it. Uh, figure out the hop combinations. Travis has a great little spreadsheet, so he has been starting to input all that data in as far as like, well, I like these two hops together, or these three hops, and what if we introduce uh, this other hop? And so. Kind of, this sounds like a really fun research project, it right, is. Jeff? <laughs> Let's throw a bunch of hop combinations together and see which one we like the most. I can't help but think it sounds kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's just dating or it's like if you're trying to fix friends up, like, oh, these two people are great. They're both great individually. We should fix them up. They would be great together. And then they just don't get along. And yeah. sometimes they get along perfectly and you never quite know until you try it. So yeah, uh, so there's I'm my my take on things this week. Combining hops is like uh, setting up dates for your friends. Well, so I, 
That's a good, I like it, because uh, we do, we usually use, use three halves because we use mosaic, kind of a good blending half that kind of puts everything together. So you can't really go wrong with some, some mosaic in there. So in distorted I mean, vision, that kills my theory a little bit because usually if you're setting up three people, somebody's going to get hurt. It's not going to go well. it's well, more like but... the, uh, the social, you know, the, the one person, you know, is always the party guy that brings everybody together. Maybe yeah, yeah. The mosaic half is that for us. Um, I forgot what's uh well mosaics distorted we used uh I gotta look it up because I've used so many hops in front of I know we use Ella instead of uh is it yeah I can hop? tell you I've got the can right here it's yeah. Ella Amarillo and uh, Columbus hops yeah so no mosaic in that one so it's kind of a little bit different so Amarillo is also great so yeah, yeah. And I, of course, I said Amarillo because I spent too much time in Mexico earlier this year. So anytime I see a double L now, I, I pronounce it as if it were Spanish. Sure. Not yeah. really Spanish in this case. I mean, maybe sort of Spanish, but not when you're talking about hops. So that's kind of what we've been, you know, kind of what we've been known for now. Dynasty is making those hazy IPAs. Um, did we talk about last week about the difference? We have two different breweries, right? We have a big brewery in Ashburn. I call it the big brewery, but it's a 10-barrel system. But, uh, but we have a very tiny brewery in Leesburg, Virginia, which is just 15 miles or so west of us. And uh, we have a half-barrel system there. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, we did talk about it last week, but no one heard it because I deleted it. Oh. So <laughs> we should talk about it again. Oh, okay. Well, Yeah, so that half-barrel system really gives you... Uh, a lot of ability to play with stuff without costing you too much money, right? Yeah, especially when, so we're doing hazy IPAs. Another thing we're doing is uh, the, the pastry stouts, uh, full body stouts that you add cookies or cream to, basically. Uh, and that's a doubt. Turns out that the little brewery in Leesburg is great for that. So we can try new experiments. Like we made a beer with Oreos, uh, Oreo cookie stout. And uh, my kids would love that. Uh, it wasn't as great as I envisioned it. You know, I was like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to get a big pile of Oreos. We're going to crush them up. We're going to put them in the fermenter. And, uh, well, all the cream, the cream in the Oreos, the double stuffed cream, I guess, just does, does dissolve in beer. <laughs> so we had this, like, streams of, uh, of uh, cream just coming out of the tap. It was really kind of odd. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound so great. Yeah, sounds, so, so that was a perfect, you really need to prepare yourself if you're going to drink one of those, I think. So that was perfect for like a half-barrel system, you know, one keg's worth. of like, oh, okay, that didn't work as well as we planned, so we just you know, move on to something else. And you know, Chocolate chip cookies is great, things like that. But, uh, yeah, but, you don't want to make five or ten barrels of something that turns out bad, and then you just have to throw it. Plus, that would be a heck of a lot more double-stuff Oreos that you had to buy to yeah, put into Yeah, that's kind of like part of it, trying to figure out what the how much you need to use for these adjuncts stouts. So I'm amazed at how much, I, I mean, consistently amazed at how much flavor beer can absorb from some of those pastries or things. I had, with the recording we did last night, I had uh, one of the out-of-order series from RAR, mm -hmm. and it was their key lime pie one that Derek had given me. And it was, I mean, it tasted just like key lime pie, and I have no idea how much of that they threw in there. Or maybe it was just graham cracker and some key limes. And I I don't know how they did yeah. it, but it was just, I mean, it was crazy how close to having a slice of key lime pie that was. And it was obviously right up my alley because I love key lime pie. That would be a challenge. <laughs> that would be a real challenge to make a key lime pie beer. Uh, we haven't got to Yeah, yet. first you have to have the 
find the pies and then you have to throw them all in and i <laughs> i don't think i could do that i would i, someone I would else eat would all the pies yeah. i'm not kidding myself that that would totally happen like i'd be like no never mind i'll just eat the pie and have a beer along with it <laughs> problem solved yeah we just find it uh the, in leesburg we have a different crowd than we have in ashburn even though it's pretty close neighboring towns really um we got a lot more lager drinkers, so we sell a lot of lagers and pilsners in Leesburg as opposed to in Ashburn. So that's kind of like the, the, the third leg of what the beers that we brew, the pilsners and lagers that we've been having fun with. I think you guys got to try, well, at least I was drinking last week, the, our newest pilsner, like the you know, 7% pilsner. But uh, That's so interesting that the customers enjoy such different beers. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Leesburg and Ashburn locations aren't that far apart, no. right? Maybe 15-minute drive? That's correct, yeah. It's, I don't know because it's, there's a, in Leesburg is more open. There's an outdoor patio. Maybe we get more people sitting on the off, outside drinking beer and then something less lighter. We haven't really figured that out, but uh, it's, it's fun to see. Trying to, like this summer, we definitely need to make a summer wheat beer. Because for uh, basically for our crowd in Leesburg, we know we're gonna, they're going to be asking for it. Um, we didn't do that last year here in Ashburn. Just it wasn't really a need for it. We kind of just focused on our hazy IPAs. And... I wonder if it has anything to do with the Ashburn is people coming out of D.C. because it's the closer one, so they just end up stopping there. Where Leesburg is more the people who are in that area and can either walk from downtown Leesburg or come in from farther out west. So it's more of a city versus, I mean, clearly not country, but versus suburb kind of crowd. I don't know what you could take from that. But, I think that's probably uh, true in some respect. That certainly on Saturdays we see uh, more of a touristy crowd. As, as it were. People come in to, to do tastings, basically, right? Come in to try our beers and get some beer to go. And like you said, Leesburg is more the locals are coming out uh, to enjoy a couple of pints and and a lot of those people in Leesburg are probably hitting one or two of the breweries there, maybe a cidery and having a couple of meals while they're there. So they might be interested in a lighter beer like a lager than something like a hazy double, triple, quadruple IPA. Yep. So, uh, I don't Lees know. Analyzing beer trends. That's what we do here. Uh, Leesburg, is, that's a fun thing to go to Leesburg because that's a, that's a quite a little beer town. There's, we're, like, there's five small breweries in Leesburg. So we can easily bar hop between them. We can walk between all of them. Um, and do the things that you brew in Leesburg get over to your Ashburn location, or nah, do they, they does stuff too, just stay where it gets brewed? Yeah, just uh, yeah. The least yeah, that's way too small for. We thought about that'd be fun to, but we have a hard time keeping up in Leesburg as far as brewing over there because it's such a small system. But um, no, everything stays in Leesburg. So people really need to go to both locations if they want to try all the different <laughs> sure, styles of beers. <laughs> it's a shrewd marketing move right there. And yeah. again, when we, after Derek and I drive out and have that uh, triple IPA you talked about, we'll probably keep driving out to Leesburg. We'll try some of the lager beers. <laughs> so it's, it's clear from what you're telling us, Fabio, that, that Dynasty really listens to their customers and you, and you learn what your customers want in the Leesburg location and the Ashburn location and you and you sort of fine tune your brewing for each of those locations on what the customers want. Let's dial that in just a little bit more. Uh -huh. We know you have the untapped system there in your brewery. Yeah. Does Dynasty really look at customers ratings? Uh, are are you like chasing ratings or are you are you trying to brew what 
your customers really like and maybe scrap things your customers really don't like? Do you pay any attention at all to that? Uh, yes and no. That's a, that's a good question. We do pay attention to the ratings. Um, we, ne- we don't necessarily brew what the customer wants us to brew. We do get a lot of requests for a, an amber ale, which uh, I think we might have brewed one in the last three years. It's almost a weekly thing. Like, oh, do you have anything that's uh, amber? We don't. We tend to have the hazies. We have a, you know, clear pilsners and lager, and then we have a, a stout. So we don't have anything like a five and a half percent. You just have an irrational hatred for that color of beer or making that color of beer. Yeah, I don't know why. We just haven't. Uh, maybe there's a there's plenty of other styles. Uh, so we kind of we kind of limit ourselves here for we have like ten beers on tap. Um, and so um, I just kind of found out to just focus on a couple of styles, three styles, three, four styles. It's better than having a huge, diverse. It's a lot of fun to brew, you know, 20 different styles of beer and have them on tap. And a lot of breweries do that. Uh, we just chose not to do that. So in some ways, we're kind of brewing to what we want to brew. Uh, but we do pay attention to the untapped ratings as far as uh, it's a good way to, once, especially with distribution, we get beer out in the marketplace to see what, where people are drinking it and uh, how they respond to it. You know, uh, it's kind of like our early warning system if we have any kind of problems of quality. And we definitely also, want... it'll kind of tell you what you need to brew again and repeat if it's selling really well and getting really good reviews. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have a hard time at noting what... I mean, it's good to get, like we got together last week, drank some beers. That's, that's good for me in the sense that it's kind of more fun as opposed to not work-wise. You get... So great, wrapped into the work, you know, as far as like just the physical part of it, getting stuff brewed, moved, transferred, and all that kind of stuff that you kind of you forget about the, the taste of the beer necessarily, right? So it's kind of nice to step back and, and enjoy it and have part of it. Sometimes it's I go to a friend's house and drink a beer there and see what their reaction is, or it's fun to go to, a, you know, we just started getting out to the bars and restaurants again that. Because it tastes different, right, than the brewery. The brewery always tastes better, right? It's like it's fresh. It's, 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 it's <laughs> yeah, like, you're having it right out right before you start kegging it is where you taste it. Right. And it's then, like, oh, this tastes great. And then, like, you know, you actually go to the bar and drink it. It's like, wow, that's not exactly what I wanted to, to taste like. And what, what, how did that, <laughs> what happened in between? So that's... Uh, well, I'm just going to put this out there. If you ever need to sit down and have a beer and relax, I'm here for you, Fabio. Yeah, was... We can get together. We can have some beers. Sounds good. When we talk about the the ratings and reviews, you said you looked at them a little bit, but I want to get kind of the extreme end of that. Is there ever a beer that you made that you were excited to make it, you tasted it, you're like, this is the best this is great you put it on tap and customers just hated it oh well we definitely had some uh had the experiment it's it was a some sort of amber ale that was just kind of not very exciting so i decided to add uh some uh bread of ices to it so it's kind of a funky yeast that you find in some belgian beers like if you've ever had an orval from belgium uh, mm-hmm. So it has like a, like a horse blankety, sounds gross, but it's very enjoyable, uh, kind of a barnyard flavor to it. And I thought, like, oh, this is pretty interesting. And it's, it's, it wasn't necessarily a chuggable beer, but it was a pretty interesting beer. Uh, so they thought like, oh, it's, you know, it kind of has all this it's kind of malty and it has like this funky flavor to it. Oh, it was a total dud. And <laughs> 
we end up just done. It's sitting in a in a barrel. We have a bunch of barrels in the brewery, so I just racked it back into the barrels and uh, let it sit there for a while longer because it's just not. Nobody enjoyed it except for me, and I only drank like you know a glass of it. It was like, oh, that's pretty enjoyable, but I never went back to it. So that's was like my business. Travis, my business partner, was like, yeah, you know, nobody's drinking this. We got to move it out. It's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something funky will happen with that yeast as it sits, and two years from now you'll have a fantastic barrel-aged amber Belgian yeah. beer. We'll see. Hopefully, um, but that, that for sure happens. Um, it's kind of nice that we kind of I don't say stumbled upon, but we did kind of just we didn't necessarily when we opened the brewery had the idea that we're going to make these vision beers, these hazy double IPAs. That we just kind of started doing it, and then the, some of the veins started working out, and then we had the our graphic artists came up with some great labels, and so we're fortunate in that regard that we have a, a, a theme that we're, we can play off of it, and uh, we don't have too many strikeouts in that part of it. So we don't, you know, it works, and we still have to be creative and and try and do things. Um, you have to, yeah. I mean, this part of the, the craft beer movement is always always trying new things, right? Yeah, um, find those new flavors and get tastes that people haven't had, and of course, there's going to be times when that fails and times when it works great. Yep. So we've talked a little bit about this, but I, I want to give you a chance just to put it out there in, in a succinct form. There are so many craft breweries in all over the place, but so many, even in the DC area, the Northern Virginia area, Loudoun County, what makes Dynasty Brewing unique? And you mentioned the you can give us some information about the two different locations, but why would people want to come there? What, what's been your goal in, in making it so that people can enjoy their time there? Well, we built the, the, uh, the tap room in Ashburn. It's, uh, you guys were here last week, I know it's very open. So the, the brew house is directly behind the bar. And that's part of what we wanted to have this experience that you are at the brewery and not necessarily a fruit pub or, you know, it's a, we wanted to add the smells and the, the feel of the brewery come through when you're sitting in the bar in the tap room, right? So it's not unusual for me to be brewing and customers are around and certainly before COVID, that's a lot more interaction. We kind of have, this, you know, everything has to step back for a little bit, but that's, we hope to get back to that, that, that we have a friendly staff, we want people to come hang out and, you know, ask them any questions. So do you actually that. talk to the customers while you're brewing yeah. or do you do that when you're not open or is, uh, it, yeah, I mean, is it kind it, of interactive while you're brewing or I found the only day that I found that I'm not brewing anymore I used to brew I used to like to brew on Friday nights because there was a lot of interaction of course that leads to like a very kind of long nights and uh kind of lose track what's going on uh there's a lot too many people you know uh walking around so so Saturdays are good uh for brewing because you kind of finish up when people are coming sort of coming in um yeah, burglar brew day is kind of finishing between three and five for me at least. And then the uh, same, same, you know, we're brewing about twice a week now. So it kind of bleeds into the, the tasting room opening up when I'm finishing up. Uh, it's great. So we can have, it's, you know, it's, that's when you like put all the hops in the whirlpool. So you got this big pungent aroma of fresh hops coming in. And um, uh, that's kind of, what we're trying to do in the same way, it's just kind of, it's an interactive process. And I do like getting people's ideas. People always have like, no, what you should do. You get a lot of that, right? Because everybody comes in and tells me what I should be doing. But I do enjoy that in many ways. 
because you get some new yeah, ideas. Yeah, everybody has their opinions. But, oh. I mean, if you hear enough of the same opinion, then you know that maybe that's something you should try. That's correct, yeah. I like the idea of having that big hop flavor and because it's, I mean, it's different when you walk into a brewery and sometimes you walk in and you smell like the spent grain and they aren't great smells and you're like, oh, these guys didn't clean that well. But if you walk in and you, you're smelling that fresh hop and you're, it's almost like you're drinking an IPA with your nose as you start to taste the beers. And it's, uh, that's, that's kind of a cool sensory experience that you don't get some places. Yeah, we were filling with, uh, fortunately nobody was here because we did it on yesterday or Monday. I filled some bourbon barrels with stout, uh, but that's a fantastic, you know, uh, sensory experience. You open up the barrel and just a big waft of bourbon comes out and you start putting stout in it. And just anybody walks in, is like, you got to smell this. You got to smell this because it's just fantastic. You know, you need to get some more barrels just to have those around. People because <laughs> it's just the fresh bourbon barrels smell amazing. And in your Ashburn location, I know we had talked about this before. And I want to make sure that we hit on it because I think it's different than a lot of breweries is you guys are very dog friendly. That's correct. In that you can have people, people can be on the patio with their dogs, but the dogs can also come inside in Ashburn. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the dogs can come on in, uh, especially on Sundays. We have uh, pups and pints. I think if you bring your dog, you get a, a, a discount on your beer. So if you're out about with your dog, come into Ashburn. Or a pint, and you get, I think it's 10% off. There's a flyer somewhere, but the bartenders will take care of you. Uh, we have some dog bowls. Um, yeah, I mean, it works pretty well. We have just enough space that people can spread out and bring their dogs in. And uh, it certainly works great outside. And then, uh, but yes, people can bring their dogs in. Maybe the only thing better than dogs and beer is dogs and beer on discount, right? <laughs> You can't beat bringing your dog and get cheaper beer, especially when it's delicious. That's what I was just going to say is that my dog, so we pay a decent amount of money for vet bills and food and all this stuff, but I think I finally discovered a way for my dog to give back. (laughs) We can go in, I can save money on beer, and eventually that will pay if I drink enough beer. Again, this this is a positive because I will have to drink a lot of beer to make enough in the discount to pay for all of my dog's supplies. But so I get lots of beer and my dog gets me discounts to pay for their food. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Seems like legit accounting to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Maybe I'll bring two (laughs) dogs in. I'll see if I can get a 20% discount. Maybe three dogs. I'll go get an extra dog. Will that work? Can I bring multiple dogs and get a bigger discount? I haven't thought about that. If we have uh, multiple dogs, uh, should work. Yeah. See, this is the way that our minds work as miles and points people and mm-hmm. <laughs> try to. The, yeah. You're on the way to Dynasty Brewing. You you swing by the local county um, dog shelter, uh, pick up a couple of dogs and say, you know, you want to uh, and like spend to take the day these with for a yeah. walk. Yeah. See if you uh, spend the afternoon with them, see if they're, you want to adopt them and then go get an extra 10% off each dog. And then hopefully you're bonded by the time you pay your bar tab and you go and adopt them and take them home with you. It's a win-win for everybody. And we should say, um, we, you've heard us say a couple of times it's 10% for each dog. That's not actually a rule. Fabio yeah, has not agreed to that. <laughs> that's just Derek and I wanting to nego- maximize Once you get here, you got to negotiate with our bartender. That'd be good. So you're saying if you bring in 11 dogs, you get paid 10% to drink their beer. I doubt it. I doubt it works that way, but 
Fabio can clear that up later. If you bring ten dogs in, I don't know. It'd be crazy. But seriously, at the end of the day, you can take your dog with you and ten percent off beer. That's a that's a win win. And plus, your dog's not stuck at home on a lovely Sunday afternoon by themselves. So, win win for everybody, including the canine. And talking about that end of the day, Fabio, when you're you're doing a lot of the brewing, you're in house. I, I would guess pretty much every day at the end of a long day when you can pour yourself a pint, what is it that you're typically drinking? Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, it's a good question. I, uh, I end up drinking beer that people drop off. So, or I pick up from other, the, uh, other lot of county breweries. Uh, it's really kind of turns out, you know, for example, rocket frog, they needed to borrow something. Uh, so he, uh, Russell came by and, Picked up some hops and then uh, dropped off a, a four pack of some a new Pilsner hit. So I was like, well, that's perfect. <laughs> that's what I'm going to drink after work today. I got some Pilsner. Um, that's usually kind of what happened. Can I ask how, how does a brewery borrow hops? Uh, yeah, just uh, his shipment was delayed, so he's going to. Uh, so he's going to give some back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of a use it and it's done capacity yeah. there. Yeah. I don't want those used hops. Right? <laughs> I think we're, I think that they were maybe lying to you there, and that's why you gave yeah. me the beer. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to need those. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, that's cool. We haven't we haven't had anyone answer the question that way, but it's interesting because obviously you're testing your beers during the brew process. When they're done, you're going to check to make sure that they're good. But at the end of the day, you're really sampling what else is out around you, which is. I think a great way to do it. And I'm surprised now that, now that you say that I'm surprised no one has answered the question that way because yeah. that's a good way to see what's happening in your marketplace and see what's good and get ideas from the other local breweries. So, I mean, most of the breweries get along and all the brewers get along pretty well. Uh, it's, it's weird that some, you ask the question like, Oh, this Pilsner came out great. What'd you do? You know, people are happy to share, the information because we're all kind of creating something and you know it's, a, it's there's no real big secrets in brewing right you take some grain and water and malt and you know hops and all that kind of stuff and put it together and you know you create a, a product and uh, so somebody figures out something interesting and uh, or tries a new hop that's wow you gotta try this it's pretty good you know and uh, and we're lucky here in eastern Mountain county there's a lot of uh, even Western Line, there's a lot of breweries in, the, in like little clusters, um, just or just around us, like you know, ten breweries and all in the Route 28 corridor. So um, it's not unusual for us to be at each other's breweries and bring a four pack and you know pick up a four pack from their brewery and, and sit down and chat about what's going on and yeah. good ideas and bad ideas. Right. I love that the craft brew community is so friendly like that and really has the attitude that as as craft beer gets better whether it's your brewery or someone else's brewery it brings the whole it's it's like the whole water's rising to bring up the ship of craft brewing it's a a great attitude to have and i think other industries could learn a lot from that and that yes they're your competitors but people who love craft beer are going to drink at several of those breweries and if it's all better that's going to draw more people in and that's what Loudoun County is doing and 
northern virginia and places like portland derek and i are going in a couple of weeks are are drawing people in just to come and taste these craft beers because they've gotten so good in those areas so it's it's really cool to see that happening in so many places uh yeah portland is a great example of that so many breweries so close together right that's not that big of a city and uh impact with beer culture and then uh yeah, people switch, you know, work between breweries, work in different breweries, and they they get different, more experience, and the quality of beer just goes up. And you can see it in some towns like Portland and Denver is like that as well. Uh, we're getting hit in, in the Virginia for sure. I think there's some of that going on. That you get uh, people can move around different breweries and uh, get different experiences, and uh, just the quality just goes up because you know you learn, you learn new things. So let's pull out your crystal ball and talk a little. There has been talk that people think we're in a craft beer bubble. There's been, uh, especially with the pandemic, people have saying the whole restaurant industry is there's going to be issues coming out of the pandemic. Pandemic. We've seen a lot of places close up. We've seen some breweries close up. Do you think we're in a bubble or do you think we're more uh, still on the rise in the world of craft beer here in the United States? Uh, You know, that comes up a lot. Obviously, in that conversation of brewers, you know, we sit around talking about it. Like, oh, God, you hear about this other brewery opening up? And I'm like, wow, oh, there's another one? Like, geez, you know, like, yeah, we all get along, but, you know, we are, we are competitive, and, you know, want to succeed. And maybe there, there is sometimes it feels like there's too many, you know, people opening up breweries without that much uh, brewing experience. And it kind of suffers a little bit because it's just a, a hard lesson to learn from going from home brewing to, a 10 barrel system um, so sometimes it feels that way that there is a bubble um, but the, the the small brewery the craft brewery has kind of taken over as your corner bar in many ways uh, it's that third space that existed for you know just that this is the new reincarnation of that third space in many ways because that you know breweries especially brew pubs tie in a lot of things right you got you got a brewer you got a chef in front of the house staff, you usually have a lot more space than, than a bar and a restaurant, so it kind of creates uh, opportunities for music and art shows. And so I think breweries will take over that kind of space. You know, there, there's room for growth in that aspect of it. It's going to be hard if you're trying to package beer and put it in a supermarket. That's you know, there's limited shelf space for that. And that's going to be the There's bubble. a lot of competition for that. Yeah, a lot of competition for that. Um, and the bigger breweries are going to win out because they have better distribution and then they can produce lots of beer at the lower cost. And um, So craft breweries are survived by the taproom model that we see expanding. So your thought is, uh, to sum it all up, that the future of craft beer, if you're looking to open your own brewery, is probably fun locating a place that needs a neighborhood craft beer bar and that can become your brewery with events on nights and weekends for the for the locals uh, in the neighborhood to come out and make it their go-to spot to drink beer is that right i think that's the future of craft beer because it'll be i mentioned old dominion a couple times and that's because it was a big brewery in virginia uh and there's still not a brewery that size Stone Brewing Company moved into Richmond, but they're already established. But there's something that really that's grown like that so quickly uh, the area. You know, breweries getting close to that, but the competition stuff in the supermarket side or the few. You know. 
Agreed. Yeah, I think we all see that. You know, a lot of times you're you're seeing uh, the brand new craft beer brewery that you've never heard of that just popped up, and all of a sudden you see one of their four packs in a in a on a shelf, and it's you know 19.99 for four beers, and you're not really you know most of us aren't wanting to spend that kind of money for a four pack from a brewery that just started and you've never tried any of their stuff. So I do think you're 100% correct. The the supermarkets and the liquor stores and the and the beer stores and convenience stores, they are saturated with the packaged goods to go. Yeah. Uh, I say that, but of course we're trying to get into more packaging because it's just, <laughs> you know, because it's... Of course, because I mean, there's money in it. There's once your name gets spread, if someone finds your beer in a store in Arlington, then they're more likely to come out and and have a beer at your tap room. So it's something you got to look at. I think that's pretty much what we're thinking. It's like, hey, if they try, you know, the store division, uh, maybe they'll want to make a trip and try out what our newest IPA is. And Fabio, that's a lot about you personally. That's a lot about Dynasty Brewing. We've talked a lot about Dynasty's beers, which, uh, by my estimation, have all been excellent. Let's talk a little bit about the other portion of our podcast now and travel. Um, We know you like to travel. You are from Brazil, now living in the United States. And we know you love beer as well, so we can combine those two together. Uh, what are the best? What are your favorite spots in the United States for beer? Well, I think I mentioned it. My Portland and Denver. I think that was my <laughs> the two favorite places I've been to for beer wise. I think that was been uh, uh, just the quality is so great in those two places, and they're kind of easier to get around than to say like San Diego has great beer as well, but it's kind of more spread out, right? So that's always a concern when you're drinking lots of beers is how you're going to get a move around a little bit. And so a place like Portland is fantastic, right? Um, yeah, nice to walk right across the street and hit another place, right? right. I was just looking at the map and planning for our Portland trip last night, and I actually showed it to my son. I was like, how is this possible? There's this one block, and there's four breweries on it. How does that work? And he was like, I don't know, Dad. I, I, I can't I even drink beer. That block. It, was, it was amazing. It was like, wow, this place is really great. And he's like, <laughs> you walk, oh, there's another place. And like, man, I, I was supposed to be doing something else, but uh, it's, a, it's a good way to spend the day, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Derek told us a story one time about he was in line at one place to get a can drop, and the people in line were like, yeah, but the real drop is happening in two hours over at that place across the street. And he was like, wait, what is that place? Yeah. So it's just... Now it's our favorite favorite brewery in downtown Portland. Uh, Probably not as good as Maine, but that's up in Freeport. So Bissell Brothers, our our favorite brewery in Portland. Yeah, so much good beer up there. And Denver, too. I mean, I've only been to a few places in Denver... I've had a lot of beer from Portland, but I haven't been there yet, but soon. Um, but I'm definitely looking at a, a Denver trip coming up sometime soon because I have a couple of friends who are living out there right now. And to explore some of the craft breweries out there, I think would be a, an excellent use of three or four days, maybe yeah, even longer. And, and here in Virginia, Richmond, it's great for the same reason. Compact city, and it's, uh, lots of breweries, right? And lots of different styles as well. So that's kind of a, got some classic places. Uh, like legend and then uh, you have the newer hazy people like Bale and then Bingo Beer is making great lagers so and just in a couple of neighborhoods you can hit a lot of different breweries so that's, that's yeah and a lot of those in Richmond are walkable too yeah there's I mean there's some you need to drive or probably take an Uber or a taxi or something between but there are several that are walkable in Richmond that have are making some excellent beers 
on the international side of things, are there any places you've been around the world that you think beer lovers should go because they're missing out if they don't try the beer there? Well, definitely Belgium is the great. It's great. I haven't been to Germany, so I feel like a enough brewer of the fact I haven't been to Germany. I love lagers, but I just haven't got around to doing that. Keep hanging out with us. You'll end up there. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Oktoberfest, right? You have to go. I like Belgium a lot. Basically, every town has their own style of beer, right? It's like Germany in that sense, but uh, Belgians don't really follow any rules of, you know, they can do whatever they want. So the beers, the, the, the styles vary quite a bit. So I enjoy that part of it. Recently. I don't know what there is not to like if you have, I mean, you have delicious, the beers, but in addition to that, you have the the frites, the mussels, the chocolate, the, there's so much delicious food, the scenery is beautiful, and then you can get a great beer with all sorts of, when you say they don't follow the rules, I mean, that's kind of true. They just have so many funky flavors and I think you mentioned earlier, like a horse blanket flavor, which you hear that and you're like, I don't want anything that tastes like a horse blanket. But then when you have it in a Belgian beer, you're like, well, that would actually kind of fit there like that. You read these descriptions and they're like, it tastes like moist soil after the mushrooms have grown in it. And you're like, that's awful. But then you drink it and you're like, I could have another one of those. For sure. And then, uh, you know, they have some great beer bars, right? That collect all these beers from from Belgium, but then you can. Go, you know, find a couple of those, and uh, there's some great books on some guidebooks that you can uh, pick up, and you just find these little holes in the walls at this huge beer selection. That <laughs> and every beer has their own glassware, right? So the beer bars will have the the, the glassware, the proper glassware for each each brewery. Yeah, I still I would. It's my goal to get back of house in one of those places and see where they store all those different glasses. Because what if four people order the same beer? They have to have at least four of them, I assume. Right. But they have, I don't know, 50 different glasses with because they have a glass for each brewery and often each style of beer from that brewery. They must have, I like to believe that every bar, every like true beer bar in Belgium has like eight layers of underground space that is just glass storage. And then they have these super quick little people that run down and get the glass and bring it up. And that's probably not true, but until I get in the back of the house of one of those places, I'm going to believe that that's true. So that's definitely my, my favorite. As far as traveling and drinking, that's definitely one of my favorite places to go. You're not, you're not going to find very good hazy IPAs but in Belgium, but uh, there's a lot of other styles to cover, so it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, so Derek will just have to make do. Oh, I love I love Belgian beers, doubles, triples, quads. I, I drink them all day, every day. West Flutter and one of the best beers I've ever had in my life. It is. That's what we, that's one of the trips we did was to basically try to hit. Well, we hit all the Trappist breweries in two different trips. So there was six of them at the time. One of them now is no longer a Trappist, but the, the last month moved away. But um, but yeah, it was. It's a good way to see the country as well because some of them are kind of stuck in the corners of Belgium. So you got to you got to get a car. There's no hard easy way to get around sometimes. But um, uh, yeah, it's beautiful forest. You drive through this beautiful forest, and you get this monastery, and there's, there's a cafe down the street, and they sell you the, the freshest beer you can find. So, I think you might have just scheduled a trip for Derek and I once the Europe reopens to us. <laughs> like, sounds it definitely to sounded like a trip plan to me. 
Yeah. Drive around a country and visit all the Trappist breweries. Uh, yeah, I could think of a lot worse ways it's to spend great. a It's week. a great way because every brew, every, they, so, you know, they have caf, some cafes are very much associated with the monastery and the brewery. They're kind of owned by the, you know, the Chimay, I think the one I'm thinking of. It's pretty much like a big English pub. It's massive, very corporate in many ways. And some other places, they they won't let you, you can't even get close to the to the, the monastery or the brewery, right? It's just like a, a gate, you kind of look through the gate. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think we're going to get a tour of this place. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you have to go to the, the closest town and find the, the cafe that serves their beer. It's fantastic, though, because it's a little bit different, right? It's not like, uh, yeah, thing. definitely something for a, a true beer lover almost has to plan a trip to Belgium at some point to try some of those beers right at the source where they come from. One last thing before we we close up, I want to talk about or ask you if there are any beer festivals. And we've talked about Oktoberfest. You've never been to Germany, so obviously you've never been to that. We're still trying to talk you into coming along with us yeah. if it happens. But are there any festivals in the U.S. or abroad that either you have been to and would recommend or that you really wish you could go to and is, is high on your list of places to travel to for specifically for beer? Uh, well, the D.C. Brewers Guild, the last couple of years, they didn't pass that. I, well, it, it usually happens in the spring, so they haven't canceled it the last couple of years. But the uh, D.C. Brewers Guild holds a, holds a festival uh, at D.C. Brow. And it's it's probably one of my favorite local beer festival because they managed to get all the brewers to come out and pour beer. Um, it's a fundraiser for the DC Brewers Guild, um, so that's a great experience because festivals got become more and more corporate. So you always have usually have this, like a salesperson pouring beer. And it, it used to kind of old back in the old days. I guess <laughs> I feel like an old person. Oh, back in the old days. All the brewers used to show up. <laughs> we walked uphill with the kegs on our backs. All the brewers there pouring their beer, and you can actually talk to them and get to know everybody. That's kind of, I used to do a lot of beer festivals. It's kind of like, a, almost like a, being a, on tour or something, because every weekend it'll be a beer festival, and you see the same people, and uh, it's kind of the same format. But this, this, I like this one. It was just, it's kind of inside the, the brewery, so it's kind of, you know, you kind of feel like you're just hanging out with friends, drinking beer. been to the Great American Beer Festival, that's certainly, if you enjoy beer festivals, it's a great experience, uh, but it's, it's, it's overwhelming, right? It's, so many breweries there. So many breweries, and, you know, you're drinking one ounce at a time, and it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> spend all your time in line waiting for the next one ounce. Crazy. Um, it's like, I'm not ever going to get drunk this way, but then by the end of the day, it's like, oh, I think I had too much. How does this happen? There's only one ounce at a time. <laughs> All right. Well, you've, you've certainly given us some, I mean, you've given Derek and I a couple of ideas for trips that we need to take, and we've got a lot of information about Dynasty Brewing. If you're local to the D.C. area or if you're going to be traveling to the D.C. area, or even if you're connecting through Dulles Airport and have a long connection, I can't imagine that you would listen to these two episodes and not want to go visit Dynasty Brewing. So I hope I think that we're like you do. Seven miles north of, did we talk about this? We're like seven miles north of Dulles Airport. Yeah, like a 15 minute drive, right? Hop in an Uber or Lyft and you're there in 15 minutes. 
So if you do stop by and you meet Fabio or you meet Travis or one of the wonderful bartenders, be sure to tell them that we sent you here at the Miles and Pints podcast. And before we close up, Fabio, if you can just give us a quick rundown of where people can find you, where they can find Dynasty, where they can find you personally online if they want to connect. Sure. So uh, I guess our social media tag is at Brood Dynasty. So at Brood Dynasty, that's Instagram and Twitter. Uh, websites, brewing, you know, dynastybrewing.com. Um, at Lost Brewer, that's my Instagram and Twitter. Not that I post very much these days, but uh, I'm a, yeah, so Brew Dynasty and Lost Brewer. All right, great. And we'll link up to all that. And I have to end this episode by saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for not recording with us once, but coming back and recording again when we deleted the second half of your episode. And it's been a wonderful experience. I feel like we will definitely hang out at a few breweries around the local area, and it's a, a, a relationship that we'll keep building. That's the beauty of recording with local people. So I will heartily recommend Dynasty Brewing, and thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, good to see you. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Fabio. Thanks for sticking around with us. That was a great conclusion of our chat with Fabio. And now it is time for our Miles and Points with Pints segment. And as always, I will tee up Derek to start us off with credit cards and American Express. What's going on with them, Derek? So... Jeff, we're aware that over the last few years, Amex has been doing a program where they randomly target people for pay-over-time offers. If you're unfamiliar with those or you have never been targeted for this offer, essentially it allows you to turn a Amex membership rewards charge card, which are the gold, the green, the platinum, uh, maybe forgetting one there, um, and you essentially make it a credit card where you now have a, uh, a pay-over-time limit that you can not pay off in full each month and pay interest on if you so choose. We would certainly never recommend you doing that. However, Amex for the last, again, couple of years has been sending out these targeted offers where they will give you bonus membership rewards points for simply activating the possibility of the pay-over-time feature. Lately, Jeff, those offers are as high as 20,000 points, which is really, really, really awesome. Uh, if you value Amex points at, you know, a point and a half to two, uh, one and a half cents to two cents each, you know, you're talking about uh, $350 to $400 just for turning on that feature. Again, just because you turn on the feature does not mean you have to take advantage of it and pay interest. You simply have to turn on the ability to do so. Jeff, have you been lucky enough to be targeted for one of these pay-over-time offers? I have done it in the past. I haven't seen a, a targeting recently, and I think that may be because I have still have it active on my Platinum card. So a couple quick tips for people about these offers. When you turn that on, you can turn it back off. And then you can be targeted again. So I would recommend that. Leave it on for a little bit. Get your points. I think they come maybe eight weeks later or something like that. It's not an instant uh, 10 or 20,000 points usually. But once the points have posted, you can go ahead and turn off the pay over time. And there's a good chance you will be targeted again when they send out the next round of targets for this. The second thing I will say is if you have pay over time turned on, make sure you're paying attention when you pay your bills because they make it 
very easy to just pay the section of your bill that does not qualify for pay over time, and then you will start paying interest. So make sure you're paying off the full amount of the balance, not just the non-pay over time charges. So those, those are my couple uh, tips for this, but easy points, very easy, usually one click, maybe two clicks to set that up. Uh, great way to get some some quick American Express membership rewards points. Yep, great advice right there. Personally, I've never been targeted despite having numerous MX membership rewards charge cards. Sarah has been targeted twice, uh, although it was just the 10,000 point offer each time, and it was several years ago. I want to say 2018 or 2019. So we did recently turn off all of those offers. I think we did that in mid-2020 once we figured out you could do that, but she has not been targeted again for the last couple of years, and unfortunately all of mine are off. They've never been turned on, but I have yet to be targeted. So fingers crossed, as more and more people are being targeted, people have been targeted as recently as this week. Uh, let's hope that we all see those offers pop up. That's all for American Express this week, Jeff, but there was big news in the Chase world over the last week. Chase launched a new card, which doesn't happen very often. They launched the United Quest card, which every time I see it, it looks like the old SPG card with the purple coloring. But the United Quest card launched. It has a $250 annual fee. However, it comes with a tiered bonus for up to 100,000 United miles. I'll let you get into the details of the offer, Jeff, but I will go ahead and throw out my two cents here. Pretty dang good offer if you fly United uh, and or you're looking to pick up a, a United card and you're under 524. Yeah, I mean, first, before I get into the United Quest card, I have to say thanks for making me nostalgic about the SPG card and that makes me a little sad. <laughs> we <But> all miss <laughs> it. <laughs> the excitement from Chase. Let's let's talk about that instead. Keep our mind off the the oh, the, the absorption of SPG by the lovely Bonvoy program. But the United Quest card is, honestly, it's a no-brainer, especially year one. If you're under 524, if you already have the the ultimate rewards earning cards, if you fly United, if you're in a place where United doesn't fly, probably not a no-brainer. But if you can fly United a couple times a year at least, this card is a no-brainer. It's that tiered bonus. It's 80,000 points for just $5,000 in spend in the first three months. And then you can add another 20,000 bonus for spending up to 10,000. And I believe that went to six months. I'm not 100% sure about that, though. In addition to that tiered up to 100,000 point bonus, you get 10,000 in flight credit, in award flight credits at your anniversary. So what that means is if you have booked two award flights, you get at least, or you have to book at least two to get the full 10,000 because you get 5,000 points per award flight that you booked. But it's kind of a rebate on those flights booked. We saw something similar from the Barclay arrival card. We've seen that, um, I want to say from an A card a while back. But that if you if you book the flights using your points later on, you'll get up to 10,000 points free. So that's almost another 10,000 United miles that you'll get back there. It gives you your first and second checked bags free. Gives you a $100 global entry or TSA pre-check credit. Though, I mean, people playing this game, who doesn't have that on at least 10 cards? I'm not sure <laughs> that's on so many cards. I think there was an article, I, I think it was JT Genter wrote it and it came out today on Forbes Advisor 
that was like 33 cards that offer unite that offer the global entry in tsa pre-check credit so i mean it's a benefit maybe you'll need it it offers priority boarding and it offers 25 percent back on united in-flight purchases which may you may or may not feel val- feel is valuable the other benefit that's a big one that goes against that 250 dollars annual fee is with this card you get 125 dollar credit for flights booked with united so if you book cash flights with united you get that $125 credit, which cuts that annual fee in half, plus the 100,000 miles, plus the bonus points coming back to you at the end of the year. It just, it seems like a phenomenal offer to me. Yeah, like you said, it sounds like a, a absolute no-brainer for those under 524 uh, and looking to pick up a United card. By far, I think the best of the bunch of the United cards, at least in year one, it may, you know, everyone's analysis is different after the bonus points hit but I mean if you if you can spend ten thousand dollars in six plus months or you know six months and uh, earn that hundred thousand point bonus that's about as good as it gets especially when you can reduce that to a hundred and twenty five dollar annual fee after the credits so really 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 good card very very exciting and that's really it for credit cards not a whole lot happened this week uh, on the hotel front, I would like to be able to say that IHG listened to us, but they I did. know for a fact that we recorded on Wednesday and we talked about it, but nobody heard it till the podcast released on Friday and they had already gone back on their devaluation. So instead of them listening to us, we were inaccurate by Friday, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they snuck in, maybe they found our recording somewhere, maybe they listened to it. But what really happened is they saw a huge blowback from that second devaluation, which we tore apart in our last episode because it was their second devaluation during the pandemic. A good note about this is if you're unhappy with something that a program does, say something, make it public, put it on social media. The more that they see these kind of things, the more likely they are to potentially go back, which is what IHD did. They reversed this second devaluation. Hotel prices dropped. People are rebooking hotels because they see them dropping so much. And we'll have, we're actually recording in a weird sequence here, but we recorded yesterday with Stephanie Arbetter from Hilton Hotels, who will be our guest for the next couple of weeks after this episode. And she said that they absolutely have a team that looks at the blogs, that looks at the social media, that looks at the groups. And I think at this point, most hotels and airlines have that. So if you're unhappy with a change, say something about it. Say something, do something, let them know. And maybe, like in this case, they'll go back and and say, oops, we screwed up. And I mean, IHG hasn't said that, but they did reprice the hotel so it's not an additional devaluation. Right. And as we touched on last week, Jeff, the worst part about this devaluation was the fact that it was the second during a pandemic. You devalued all of your loyalty members' points stashes when you went to dynamic pricing, you know, about a year ago, right after the pandemic started, while the vast majority of loyalty accounts, those those amounts of miles and points outstanding has probably increased rather than decreased through usage over the last year. So as those points balances accrue over the last 12 months, they decide, oh, you know, even though we devalued since people have been able to use their points, let's devalue again. 
that's what made it so egregious. I'm hoping somewhere in the IHG boardroom, wherever this decision was made, I'm hoping they didn't really think about that, and once they saw all of the blowback across all the points of Miles community, a light bulb went off, and they said, you know what? We're right. We didn't think about the fact that this is the second devaluation during the pandemic when no one could use their points. Even if it just delays it, you know, six months or a year, at least it gives all of us an opportunity to absorb the impact of the last devaluation last spring after the pandemic had started before they implement this new devaluation. So my advice would still be what we said last week, burn those points ASAP. Uh, and it goes for all, especially hotel programs, but all programs generally, maybe not so much the transferable currencies, but hotel and airline points, earn and burn. Use them as quickly as you can. The value will never be as great tomorrow as it is today. They are not an appreciating asset. They are definitely depreciating. So earn them and then burn them as soon as you can because the value is going down. Absolutely. And on the airline front of things, we actually have two pieces of good news this week, which is, I'm, I want to say, odd for our updates. Like, two, <laughs> two nice things have happened that people can be excited about. The first one, Air Canada, which has been terrible since the pandemic started. People have been fighting and fighting and fighting, trying to get refunds, even though the U.S. Department of Transportation said if it connects in the U.S. or leaves from the U.S., you have to issue a refund. Air Canada have said, no, no way, uh uh-uh, forget it. And they haven't been doing it. Finally, Air Canada has started issuing refunds for travel canceled due to the COVID pandemic. So if you have flights that were canceled and you're sitting on credits or you're waiting for a refund, get a hold of them as soon as possible. I would expect the hold times to be kind of long, but, you know, throw them on hold, do something for a while, let it sit, watch a TV show, watch a movie, watch a couple of movies. I don't know how long the hold will be, but do it sooner rather than later because you don't know when this uh, may stop happening. Short story about Air Canada. Last spring, before the pandemic hit, I th- actually it was, I believe, December 19, I sat on hold for four hours to pick seats on an award flight. Four hours, Jeff, on a Saturday. So, although you got a call to get your money back because we all want our cash back for canceled flights, but like you said, pop in a movie. Maybe plan to watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy or something else that'll take 12 hours. But, uh, you know, if you, if, if you give yourself an entire 24-hour period to get through to Air Canada, there's a really good chance it will go through. Unless you're disconnected, then you, you might be in trouble. But uh, plan, in all seriousness, though, plan, plan for a long wait. Aeroplan is notoriously bad for answering. There's, what, six or seven Harry Potter movies? You could start on them, and you're almost... I won't say you're guaranteed, but you'll probably get through before they're over. (laughs) Basically, give yourself a whole weekend and you'll probably get through. Other good news coming from somewhere a little bit warmer than Canada most times of the year, Hawaiian Airlines. And what have they done, Derek? In a move that most airlines have now adopted, we still have one glaring holdout, but Hawaiian has decided that their miles no longer expire, joining most other American airlines, but not American airlines, the holdout uh, as of now. But I think it's really good news, especially while people are not flying. They may not be spending on their airline cards uh, as much as before. 
Um, Hawaiian officially says their miles no longer expire. I saw a commentary on one of the blogs this week, and it was like, does never mean never? Yeah, probably not. Uh, like everything else, there'll probably be a devaluation in the future, and they'll decide that points and airline miles will expire in the future. But for now, Hawaiian joins everyone else. Miles no longer expire. So good news for the present. And I have to wonder why they did that now and not at the beginning of the pandemic if they were going to do it. Maybe just no one had the idea. But as someone who had miles expire, I'm not proud to say that. But I tried. I booked a flight and canceled a flight, which resets it on most airlines. Apparently not with Hawaiian. I haven't called them to talk about it. I had miles expired during the pandemic. So I will definitely be calling them and seeing if I can get those reinstated. It wasn't a ton of miles, but uh, I don't know. I feel like this is a move that they could have made much easier to much earlier to make it easier for a lot of their customers. But good news. Nonetheless, super exciting. General travel updates today. And I guess by the time this airs, it would be three or four days ago. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was paused in the U.S. due to a potential for blood clots. It was not very many people getting blood clots, but they still, I believe they said out of an abundance of caution, which we have heard a ton during the pandemic, they are pausing uh, or suggesting that we pause giving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. This does not mean don't get vaccinated. This means uh, try and get the Pfizer, try and get the Moderna once this gets sorted out and they figure out what the actual risk is, get the Johnson & Johnson. Get any vaccine you can for the health of yourself and for the health of the community and so that you can travel. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I, I'm glad that they're doing this out of an abundance of caution, but I think more than anything, it should remind all of us in the United States how lucky we are that we have three viable vaccines right now. This is very much like the AstraZeneca vaccine in in much of Europe, except by the pause on the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're left with very few options. So at least here in the United States, we still have millions and millions of shots being administered for Pfizer and Moderna every single day. Uh, And that's a, that's a great thing. So uh, we're, we're very fortunate where we are in the U S and let's hope they get the Johnson and Johnson figured out quickly so we can continue increasing the vaccination numbers. Speaking of vaccination, Jeff, more and more countries are opening up to vaccinated travelers from the U.S., and domestic locations are relaxing their quarantine restrictions for vaccinated travelers. Most recently this week, Hawaii has relaxed their quarantine policy for vaccinated travelers. They're still working, I believe, to iron out the details. Uh, And hopefully it's not an island-by-island program like it was for the quarantine uh, compliance things. But uh, Hawaii has at least announced initially that uh, they are removing the quarantine requirement for vaccinated travelers, which is great news, both for the tourism industry in Hawaii and for people that want to go to a domestic beach destination. Yeah, if you're planning on visiting Hawaii, definitely keep an eye on it. I think I read today that Maui has maybe said, no, we're not quite ready to do that. But it it may be an island-by-island basis. It may be Hawaii as a whole. But Hawaii domestically is the, the big one that has been requiring quarantine. But there are many countries over the week that have been opening up, and we will continue to see more and more and more of this, of countries opening up to people who have their vaccines because they believe it's much safer for those people to travel. So why do you get the vaccine? Your own health, the health of your community, 
and travel. If you want to go places, get one of these vaccines as soon as you can. Absolutely. Unfortunately, Jeff, it's not all good news uh, on the vaccinated travel, uh, much like the Johnson Johnson was a big blow to the United States this week. There's also around the world, we're kind of blind to it in the U.S. because the vaccine rollout is so efficient right now. However, there's a couple of places uh, that have been locking down again uh, due to increased cases. So we are certainly not over the hump yet. We've seen that in Bermuda. We've seen that in a few European cities and countries. They are still on lockdown. And we can only hope that as we get more vaccines here, it is able to spread around the world, not the disease, but the vaccine. And we're able to get some of these other countries more vaccines and get them up to the point that we're at. It's interesting to see the way things have gone. We were so far behind for so long, and now the U.S. is kind of starting to get ahead of the curve as far as vaccinations, and we're really doing a good job of rolling that out. So hopefully it won't take too long for people, other countries, to catch up and the the world will open back up to us. The last thing we want to talk about before we close up today is... The lovely TSA. Do they have the same management that runs IHG's loyalty program? It seems so, because they were like, <laughs> hey, this is the way it's going to be. Oh, wait, no, it's not. And the uh, specifics involved here involve sunscreen. As people go to travel around the U.S. to beaches, they're traveling more domestically. If, they want, if they're taking a flight leaving from the U.S. to the Caribbean, to Mexico, to Central America to Hawaii, to anywhere with a lovely beach that we can go at this point. The TSA came out earlier this week and said, hooray, you are able to take full-size sunscreen in your carry-on. It is not going to be subject to the 3.4 ounces, or is it 3 ounces? Three, I, I forget. 3 but point something. Yeah, yeah, it's not subject to that rule anymore, and you can bring sunscreen. And that lasted approximately a day and a half, I think. Sounds right. And then the TSA said, oh, wait, no, we didn't mean it. No, you can't bring sunscreen through anymore. And, so, you know, it's it's really disappointing. And, again, <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to say it, but it's another big blow for families, just like the Amex Centurion guest access we talked about last week is a big blow to families when those policies change in a couple of years. I mean, for single travelers, you probably could, or for couples, you could each throw a, you know, a, a three ounce bottle of sunscreen in your in your carry on bag and be okay. But for a family with you know two, three, four kids, you need a lot of sunscreen for a beach, especially for a beach or tropical vacation. And this is just forcing them to either check a bag, which is you know they may be doing anyway. But if they don't, that's a big blow because it's you know getting to the airport earlier. It's a, a later departure from the airport, lugging it to the rental car place and all of that, or it's paying astronomical fees at, at tourist locations for sunscreen. We saw a one data point in um, Travel on Points, my Facebook group, from a guy I went to college with. He went to a Caribbean resort a few years ago thinking he could just buy sunscreen when he got there. $85 a bottle. Whoa. $85. Think I've about seen it as high as 35 myself. <laughs> right. But. Yeah. Think, think about if you are, you know, a family of four or five and you need two of those bottles in a week, that can put a big dent in your weekly 
budget for vacation. So again, I think it's a big blow for families. I don't think it'll affect solo travelers and and couples as much as they can just throw those small bottles in their carry-on. It's almost silly the way I I have long been a a critic of the TSA and some of their policies because it's just it seems like arbitrary rules. I think it's Gary Left that calls it the TSA war on water that you can't bring water through. But then with the pandemic, all of a sudden it was instantly okay to bring a full bottle of sanitizer, which is a gel-like substance. So that's fine, but we can't bring water. And now we can't bring sunscreen, but they aren't even testing the sanitizers. I don't, it just, I mean, it's, it's rules for the sake of having rules. So I look forward to the day when hopefully someone who can do something about it realizes that and we can bring a bottle of water to the airport again and not have to bring a refillable bottle or buy a bottle there or i don't know it's just it's frustrating every time i fly and i think yay this is making me safe not really at the end of the day i can't imagine that the uh, liquid content of a you know a bottle of sanitizer is that much different than a, a bottle of liquid sunscreen. So, uh, you know, if, if anything, if anything, typically bottles of sanitizer are see-through uh, and the liquid itself is see-through. Um, I guess maybe that's the know. difference, but, um, you know, but that, but that doesn't apply to bottles of water. So who knows? Um, yeah. And if you so, want to bring a nefarious liquid on board, bring it 3.4 ounces at a time just bring right. six of the bottles i don't i it makes no sense it may, you can bring six bottles three ounces of whatever liquid you want and then you can bring a 20 ounce bottle to put it all into so really all you have to do is pass security and then you can have your liquid so it's just i don't know silliness but We'll end with that. We've had some beers. <laughs> we've chatted with uh, Fabio for the second time, and we've given you a few updates in the world of miles and points, and we hope that you're enjoying this segment. We hope you're enjoying our interviews, and we will see you again next week. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Fabio as we did talking to him. He was so kind to come back and help fix my editing mistake by recording again with us. There are a lot of fun things happening at Dynasty Brewing, and we're excited to follow along as things start to get closer to normal this spring and summer, now that we've found the gem of a brewery so close to D.C. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Loudon and the Loco Ale Trail, for helping us to get this episode out to you. If you want to try the beers that Fabio and the team at Dynasty Brewing are creating, you'll need to make your way to one of the two Dynasty Brewing locations in Loudoun County, Virginia. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, Be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. 
And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Journey, it will be 